Can everyone hear me? Yes, cool. Josh always talks about how beautiful I am, but some of you might not know, in his teen years, he was offered some modelling contracts. I wasn't. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, he's, maybe he's missed his calling. Nah. <laughs> You're the good-looking one. All right. How beautiful was just that singing then. Thank you for leading us, team. And Rosie, you have the voice of an angel and the roar of a lion, hey? And it's such a blessing to this house. We love you. And the rest of the team. You guys are pretty awesome too. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit nervous this morning. I think I'm nervous because I've got like all the people I love most here. But I sh that means I should be more comfortable, hey? Anyway, hopefully everything I say this morning makes sense and is an encouragement. But it was really special to dedicate the boys hey this morning <sighs> little Lennox and Elliot uh, they're just such gorgeous kids and such a privilege uh, to be part of that and I think dad said it before but thank you everyone who came to be part of that today and the best thing I think about nephews and now we've got Lennox and Elliot and little Sunday our beautiful nieces that we can stop having kids and yeah. our kids can just love on their little nieces and nephews good plan hey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, and like how rich is family? Hey, there's such a sense of just family and sweetness here this morning. And I'm going to talk a little bit on family. But before we moved on, speaking of family, we failed to mention that it's someone's birthday coming up on Tuesday. Kind of a father, grandfather in the house. Dad, Mark, he'll be loving this attention. So after church, if you see him, give him lots of cuddles and drop in some chocolates. I don't know. Give him money. It's what he probably appreciates most. Um... And Deb's birthday today. Happy birthday, Deb. Give her lots of hugs too. And it was swellies yesterday, and I'm sure we probably missed a few more, so if it was your birthday, happy birthday. But we were going around. I had this bright idea last night. It was kind of a joke because I knew it would make my sisters uncomfortable, but I'm like, let's all go around and say something nice about Dad. And <laughs> my sister's like, Bleh. And um, a few of us said stuff, and the boys were like, he's a great grandpa, and he plays sport with me, and he talks about science with me, and it was really nice. And then... We got to John, and he's like, big heart, why girth? <laughs> I think that nails it, but like, how blessed are we to have a father and a grandfather who's made a way for this and us, and he's got such a big heart, and he's always looking out for others and pouring out for others and never thinking about himself. I'm going to get cheery. He's such a generous, I think, like, it was profound what John said, and why girth? Like, I just, dad has big arms and so many sons and daughters everywhere. <laughs> it's big arms, big tummy. Anyway, I just wanted to take that moment to honour you, Dad, as our father and leader. And love you. <laughs> Mum missed it. She was in Christ. She'll be devo. <laughs> anyway, it's recorded. Enough of this. I, uh, I'm going to move on now. And, and Josh and I haven't spoken for a while. So <laughs> why laughing? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Subtlety is not my strong suit. Okay. Yes, no, we have spoken with each other. We haven't spoken with you as a church. We've had lots of other amazing people sharing. And, like, it's been really rich, hey, the last, I don't know, few months in church. And as I said before, I hope what I say makes sense and does what's on my heart. Justice, apologies if it does make no sense. And if it gets a bit much, just feel free to get out your phone and play some games. <laughs> I think that's what Josh does most weeks. <laughs> nah, he doesn't. That's just in leadership meetings. No, just joking. <laughs> and I just want to add as a disclaimer... Uh, to this message and probably my life, something that I heard Bobby Houston say, she's the leader of the Hillsong Church movement, 
and we had colour conference there recently in Sydney, uh, like last month, and colour conference is just a women's conference where we all come together and everyone is encouraged and inspired and you cry and you laugh and it's fun and it's such a rich time. So if you're interested in like colour women's conference, see myself or Mandy or um, someone else and we'll point you in the right direction. We'd love for you to come with us next year. But she said this at the beginning of the conference this year and I really liked it. She said, I apologise in advance if I say anything politically incorrect, ridiculous or offensive. My heart is pure. It's not to offend. And I just love that and I want to say the same thing. I might say some random things at times, some politically incorrect things, maybe even some offensive things. Unfortunately, I was born with a mouth that speaks quicker than my brain can catch up. And it does get me in trouble endlessly, but I am working on it. So I hope you know my heart this morning is good and it's to encourage and, and not to hurt anyone. Um, on the note of that, the world's gone mad, hasn't it, in terms of you can't say anything without like hurting someone or being politically incorrect. Not great days for the likes of people like me who speak before I think. Um, but I guess I want to encourage us this morning. Oh, and I might say things to provoke us to thought, which is just to get us thinking. And, and may we be robust in our interactions, I guess, as, as a church, as people, as family. Unfortunately, I think Christians have a bad reputation for maybe being the most easily offended, self-righteous and precious people going around. And I think we have to watch that. And, and I'm very sorry if you have been on the receiving end of that. It's not our heart and it's not God's heart that you should feel judged. So, just to include the Bible, Colossians 3.13, going to pop up. Uh, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I think I might pop it up in the message. Did I have that as well? <clears throat> Be even-tempered. Content with second place, quick to forgive and offence. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And I think, like, may we be quick to forgive, may we not hold grudges. Josh has shared this uh, verse from, or quote, sorry, not verse, from Carl Lentz, who's just another pastor from the Hillsong Church in America. And he says, the more and more we walk with God, the more and more aware of his grace we should become. And I guess the more we should show that in according measure to others, like, may that be the story of our lives, may we become more and more aware of our grace. I mean, God's grace towards us in our weakness and rather than becoming better and better at pointing the finger at everyone else. It says in Matthew 7 verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Yeah, that's it. Maybe just like be looking at what we should be working on rather than everyone else. And let's keep short accounts. I spoke about this uh, before in previous messages when we're walking around in life, you know, we can accumulate baggage, pain and hurt. And if we just like walk around and we keep accumulating more and more baggage and then say 20 years later, it's getting a bit heavy and we think oh, it's time to process this and let go of it. It's, it takes a lot of work to get rid of and deal with process 20 years of baggage. But if we keep short accounts, that person said something that hurt me. If we deal with it then and there, it's so much easier to deal with it. And then we can walk around more lightly for the rest of our lives. So let's keep short accounts. So that was all kind of introduction. It will make sense a bit more with what I'm talking about. But on this note of the interactions with other, others, I want to speak about the four stages of community that M. Scott Peck, who's an American psychiatrist and author, he's developed these four stages of community. And I have spoken about uh, these four stages of community before last year. Maybe when I spoke about it since then, lots of the people that were here have left. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, but... <laughs> 
Um, no bad taste intended. So I'm going to rehash, but who was here for that message on the four stages of community? Awesome. You guys are still here. Love you. Um, <laughs> it will be slightly different this time, so hopefully you get stuff out of it. And as I prepared, I tried to move in different avenues onto different topics because I've already spoken about this, but I kept coming back to this and I just feel that it's something that will be great for us to look over this morning and great to be reminded of. So, the four stages of community, according to M. Scott Peck. The first stage is pseudo-community, and it might just come up in the background, just in case I lose track, you guys know where I'm up to. So, pseudo-community, naturally, when, I guess, a group comes together and relationship begins to build, it's the first stage. It's very superficial, keeping up appearances. Everyone's nice to each other. No one wants to offend or really express themselves in case, I guess, they hurt someone or they lose... Relationship, it's surface level relationship. The next stage of community is chaos. So as people get to know each other and I guess um, build relationship and continue to go a bit deeper, people's individuality, their strengths, their weaknesses, their difference naturally begin to surface and it brings chaos, it brings conflict because you know we're all different and we all have different ways of doing things and often in this stage people begin to attack each other and attack their leader. Um, it's a stage of fight and struggle according to Peck. Um, people often attempt to take control or organise the chaos. But I love this from Peck, as long as true community is the goal, organisation as a solution to chaos is un workable. The chaos is actually a necessary part of the progression into true community. It's, it's essential, actually, and sometimes we run from it, but it's actually really key. So the third stage of community is emptiness. The way through to true community from chaos is emptiness, and is what this means is just to empty ourselves of barriers to communication. And Peck says the most common barriers are expectations, preconceptions, prejudices, ideology, theology, and solutions. The need to fix perceived problems, convert people to our way of thinking, and the need to control. And this, this stage of emptiness is actually ushered in as members begin to share their own brokenness, their defeats, their failures, their fears, rather than acting as if we all have it together. And I love that again because it's pointing back to what I said earlier about may we become more and more aware of the grace of God in our failures. And this is what this is saying. This stage of emptiness is actually about expressing that we're not perfect. We have fears. We have failures. We feel defeated in areas, but we can actually express that and support one another and show grace. And so that's, again, where the grace comes in. And let's be vulnerable with each other, I guess. Let's be real. We don't have to keep up a facade. And for people to like us, I guess, uh, what we're moving into, true community, we can all be ourselves. So, the encouragement in that is uh, let's watch our hearts and uh, continually be asking if there's areas I can grow in rather than, like I said, focusing on other people's issues. Are we holding hurts, wounds, prejudices, ideology that could be a barrier to a relationship that we might need to let go of that could be hindering us from connecting meaningfully with others? It's food for thought. I know Josh and I are regularly checking our hearts and we regularly offend each other. Like, so that's just in our relationship, let alone outside of that. So, yeah, let's just be, I guess, aware of where we're at. All right, so end of story. No, not end of story. The best stage of community emerges as we actually learn the art of emptying ourselves. We move into number four, true community. So, true community emerges as the group chooses to embrace not only the light but life's darkness. True community is both joyful and realistic 
And through the emptiness I spoke about before, through the laying down of our prejudices, our hurts, our ideology, our theology, all those barriers, we actually enter in to this true community. People can be themselves and connect without barrier. Sweet, gritty community, it's real, it's honest, it's raw, it's robust, it's often hard work, but it's beautiful. And Peck says, in this final stage, a soft quietness descends. It's a kind of peace, the room is bathed in peace. Members begin to speak of their deepest and most vulnerable parts, and others will simply listen. There will be tears of sorrow, of joy, an extraordinary amount of healing begins to occur. I just think that's so beautiful. So, like, drop the mic, end of sermon. <laughs> um, and that's what we're working towards, true community, where we can be vulnerable, we can express our joys, our fears, we can cry together, laugh together, and uh, it's, it's beautiful. So there's a lot in this, but I guess one little encouragement I want to give to us from Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And I just think this is key to, uh, I guess, staying in true community once we're there, because the feature of true community is that we've laid down our prejudices, our hurts, all those things that are a barrier to relationship, we've laid that down to be in true community. If our heart isn't guarded in true community, is all it takes is for someone to say something else, hurt our heart, we put up our walls and barriers and we've actually lost that deep connection. We're no longer able to connect at that true community level. So I just think it's a key encouragement for us in whatever relationships we're in, just to keep our heart guarded so that we don't, I guess, allow other barriers to come in to relationship. A pastor friend and mentor of ours who we look up to greatly um, from New Zealand, Bruce Monk, he said this, the goal is to keep our hearts soft and our thick skin, our skin thick. <laughs> so the goal isn't hard heart, guard heart doesn't mean hard, guarding your heart is how you keep it soft. And uh, yeah, guarding our heart helps us keep our heart soft because I guess one way that we can guard our heart is those things I said earlier, that we're quick to forgive, we're not easily offended, we keep short accounts. That's how we guard our heart and that's how we keep our heart soft. And I know it's easier said than done, but I think it's something we grow in. And I guess the ability to resist offence, forgive quickly and keep short accounts is definitely something you grow in as your character grows with maturity. And I think uh, for me, I hope... I'm a little bit less sensitive and my heart's a bit softer and my skin's a bit thicker than it was 10 years ago. I'm maybe not offended by the same things I would have been and I probably am still offended but I deal with things quicker and I guess that's the goal that we grow in our capacity to deal with things and not hold on to things and I hope in 10 years time that I've grown even more in my ability to keep my heart soft and my skin thick. So in summary, true community is the goal. We enter into that by emptying ourselves of prejudices, hurts, ideology, theology, preconceptions, the need to control, all these things that hinder us from connecting with others meaningfully. And the key feature, the other key feature, as Peck says, is that we share our fears, our failures, our defeats. We are open, honest and vulnerable with each other. And how do we remain in true community? I believe guarding our heart is of utmost importance. It allows us to keep our heart soft and open and vulnerable so we can go deeper with others. And I know I'm kind of repeating here, like I said some stuff earlier that I'm repeating now, but I guess I'm just emphasising it because I believe it's really important and hopefully if I keep repeating it, it does go in and it's not just boring. I just want to add to when Peck says emptying ourselves of ideology and theology, we all probably have slightly different views on life and faith 
It's not saying we have to empty ourselves of everything we believe and just think the same so we can all be in agreement and all be happy. That's actually pseudo-community. We can be in true community and all have different views and all be open and honest about that, but I think what Peck is referring to here is when we allow those ideologies, theologies, those preconceptions and expectations to actually become a barrier in our heart to others. Maybe when we think we're better than others because we believe a certain way or maybe when we think we can't connect with others because they think differently. I think this is what Peck is talking about. We can have beliefs and views and we can all be slightly different in how we see the world, but that so long as it's not a barrier to actually connecting meaningfully and it's part of the beauty of life. Hey, Josh and I love connecting with all the rich, I guess, the saltwater people in our world and there's difference and there's variety and there's colour and that's what makes life so rich. We definitely don't want to all be the same. And true community is colourful. It's full of variety and difference and individuality. But the key is that we embrace each other as we are and keep our hearts open and soft towards each other in spite of difference. <coughs> All right, everyone's still with me? Cool. I'm not going to speak too long. I think I'm over halfway through. So why this focus on true community? What's the point? Is it so we can all feel warm and fuzzy and connected? True community, as I said, it is rich, it is beautiful, and yes, it is hard work, and it is raw, and it's gritty, but done well, it's ultimately enjoyable. But there is a function beyond true community, a function beyond us to true community. There's actually a world out there in immense pain. Who knows that? It doesn't take a social researcher or social analysis or a, a rocket scientist to look around and say that the world is pretty messed up in lots of ways. Josh heard a message from a man named Peter Prothero uh, this week, he was listening to it, and he said that this generation is the most abused in history. And that's just tragic to think that. Um, it's what our generations, our kids, it's the world our kids are growing up in. <sighs> Where anxiety, depression, suicide, family breakdown and abuse rates are at an all-time high, the world is screaming for answers. And yes, our world is more connected than ever in terms of globalisation and technological development. But I think we are more connected as a society, yet we've never felt so isolated and alone as individuals. George Monibot, I think that's how you say it, a highly acclaimed British writer and political activist, writes in an article titled The, Angel <laughs> the, Angel. the Age of Loneliness is Killing Us. And Dino might just pop up the article. It's from The Guardian. I don't know, is that like, is that a source that's as credible as Wikipedia just about? I don't know, but I really agree with what this uh, man is saying in his statement on the state of society. So I'm going to read it. This is what he says. What do we call this time? It's not the information age, the collapse of popular education movements left a void, filled by marketing and conspiracy theories. Like the Stone Age, Iron Age and Space Age, the digital age says plenty about our artefacts but little about society. The Anthropocene, in which humans exert a major impact on the biosphere, fails to distinguish this century from the previous 20. What clear social change marks out our time from those that precede it? To me, it's obvious this is the age of loneliness. I think that's so profound. Loneliness is the scourge of modern day society. Monibot goes on. When Thomas Hobbes claimed that in the state of nature, before authority arose to keep us in check, we were engaged in a war of every man against every man. He could not have been more wrong. We were social creatures from the start, mammalian bees who depended entirely on each other. The hominins of East Africa could not have survived one night alone. We are shaped to a greater extent 
than almost any other species by contact with others. The age we are entering in which we exist apart is unlike any that has gone before. That's the epidemic of loneliness. I'm just going to read a little bit more because I think it's such a great article. Three months ago, we read that loneliness has become an epidemic among young adults. Now we learn that it is just as great an affliction of older people. A study by Independent Age shows that severe loneliness in England blights the lives of 700,000 men and 1.1 million women over 50. And it's rising with astonishing speed. And obviously that's just the statistics on England. It'd be obviously larger worldwide. And I find this so interesting. He says, Ebola is unlikely ever to kill as many people as this disease strikes down. Social isolation is a potent cause of early death, is as a potent a cause of early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness, research suggests, is twice as deadly as obesity. Dementia, high blood pressure, alcoholism and accidents, all these, like depression, paranoia, anxiety and suicide, become more prevalent when connections are cut. We cannot cope alone. How amazing is that? As human beings, we're created for connection. We're created not to exist alone. It actually makes our hearts sick when we are separated and when we are isolated. It's not good for our well-being. It's profound. So I'm going to change scenes now. I'm going to come back to this analysis, but I'm going to shift from the social analysis on society to actually a story, a, a schoolyard story closer to home. One of my sons uh, told me this story. I am just trying to make sure. My dear son asked that I keep his name anonymous because he wanted to protect the people in this story. So I'm going to work really hard to say my son and not his name. Some of you might already know who I'm talking about. But my son came home and he told me this story that there was a young boy who was new to the school and he was wandering around every lunch and recess by himself with his football and he'd just walk around with his football and obviously he was bringing his football because he wanted someone to play with him. And my son was like noticing this and thinking, oh, maybe he just doesn't want to play or he just was trying to figure it out. And then he realised that this boy was actually really lonely and he didn't know how to ask others to play. So this boy was sitting down holding his football on the seats one day at lunchtime as he did for the other two or three weeks he'd been at school and my son just went up to him and said, hey, see so you've got a football, would you like to play with it with me? <laughs> and uh, it just made this boy's day and it made his week and as I heard from his mum later, it, it affected the whole family and blessed the whole family. And this boy then went to play with my son and um, <laughs> my son introduced him to all his other friends and now he's got a rich circle of friends and he's so happy at school and he's looking forward to going to school. And yeah, it's so beautiful. His mum said to me, you know, we've just moved from Sydney and it's been really hard and our kids were really struggling to fit in at school and now we're coming home every afternoon in tears because they just felt so alone and she said we were ready to pack up because we thought we've done this to them and we put our kids through this torment and we just thought maybe we've made the wrong move she said and then your son came into my son's life and asked him to play with him and she said it changed everything for them and I was like oh that's the heart of God hey that those who are lonely and lost and hurting would find belonging and find home and that we would provide them an avenue to get there I asked my son yes yeah, it's beautiful and he actually said to me after he told me this story, Mum, have you ever done that for someone? I'm like, let me think, I hope I have. <laughs> I'm sure when I was at school, I would have asked someone to play with me. But he put me on the spot and I was like, yeah, I need to make sure I am doing that for others and that I'm not so caught up in my own life. And I said to him, what made you decide to do that? And he said, Mum, 
I just thought what he was feeling like and I thought he was probably feeling really lonely and really sad and really lost and and then he started to cry and he said I didn't want him to feel like that I wanted him to feel happy in his heart and I was like oh my gosh he's in primary school I won't say his age and he's just got this level of empathy that is so inspiring and as I said he wanted to keep this boy and his name anonymous to protect this boy just in case one day we ever came in contact with him because he wants to invite him to church and he doesn't want this young boy to be exposed and I just think again noble heart could it be, as the above article suggested that I was reading, our world is filled with people like this young boy who are wandering around in a sea of people surrounded, but who, physically surrounded, but who are emotionally, mentally and spiritually in a world of pain and loneliness, who are just waiting for someone to reach out and say, hey, I see your pain. I see that even though you're surrounded, that you feel incredibly alone and you don't know how to reach out and you don't know where to go and I see that and I want to help you find belonging and I want to help you find family. And I think as adults, we get better at hiding that. Like, maybe we're not, I guess, like wandering around in a schoolyard with our ball, obviously looking alone. But I think in our hearts, we can mask how we're feeling, but we can feel just as alone. I think isolation and loneliness is one of the greatest mountains people are facing in our modern day society. As Monibot writes about anxiety and depression and all those things, they're at an all-time high because of loneliness. And these things become more prevalent when our connections are cut. We cannot cope alone and I believe genuine true community is what lost and lonely souls are yearning for so often people find the love of God through the love of community hey I think it's almost always the way could it be if we if we as the church can fight for true community that we have the answer to combat one of the biggest aches facing this generation in a way that no amount of self-help, technological development, social media, connectedness, fame or fortune could ever provide. And not just combat the ache, but bring a healing to a generation in a world of pain and loneliness. Looking back to M. Scott Peck's description of true community, in this final stage, a soft quietness descends. It's a kind of peace. The room is bathed in peace. Members begin to speak of their deepest and most vulnerable, vulnerable parts and others will simply listen. There will be tears of sorrow, of joy, an extraordinary amount of healing begins to occur. Broken hearts find healing in true community. I know that's Josh and I's story. We found so much healing for our brokenness and grace for our weakness in this setting, and, and not just like in these four walls, but I guess in the global national church family we have so many friends I guess and people who have stood around us and just loved us as we've shed our hearts and we've battled through our lives it's exactly the way it should be and it brings us no greater joy than when others walk through these doors or into connection with true community somehow and find the same sense of healing and belonging and hope as we have found and you know we've had had friends and people share that as they have connected in here or other places and then maybe months or years later will come and just say how their hearts have found healing and how they've found a home and a belonging they've never known elsewhere and that is the greatest joy to see people find that and I love our alpha group that we have I know some of you are part of small groups but in that group I think it is a picture of true community we're able to laugh and cry together and we share our burdens and we support one another and it's it's just beautiful it's true community and our heart is that you find that. If you haven't yet found that somewhere, that's why I'm talking about it. Maybe there's an ache in you and you haven't been able to figure out why. This could be part of it. Psalm 68, 
verse 6 says God sets the lonely in families. It's God's heart. It's his plan. And as I said, there's not much more a beautiful thing than seeing people find family who are lonely. Okay, so speaking to the church for a moment, although I have kind of been doing that on and off, or those that are planted somewhere in church, here or elsewhere, how much is at stake here? Why is there such a battle over true community and a battle to keep our hearts soft and connected without barrier to one another? Because I believe it's the vehicle by which God wants to bring healing to a broken and lonely generation, broken and lonely society. Can we get over our difference, our prejudice, our self-righteousness, our offence for the sake of a world that desperately needs an encounter with true community. Not religious community, not offended community, not a divided community, true, gritty, raw community. If my son had been wandering around thinking about how hurt he was because someone said something that offended his delicate sensibilities at recess, or if he had been pointing the finger at what everyone was doing wrong on the playground, or, or if he had just been focusing on himself and thought he'd rather stay comfortable, play with the mates he knew and not put himself out there and let his walls down because he could have been rejected by this boy, he probably wouldn't have even noticed this boy in a world of pain. But because my son's heart is pure and soft and uncluttered, without barrier, he saw, he acted, he was able to connect meaningfully. Because as Peck says, prejudice is a barrier to relationships. So when we've got prejudice, we can't see the lost and lonely person on the other side of the playground. He was able to connect meaningfully and I reckon he changed this boy's world forever. And I might add, he's made a great friend in the process who just turns out loves rugby and AFL and soccer and all the things he loves just as much as him, which is a bonus. Church, what could we and others be missing out on because our hearts are so cluttered that we can't see beyond our own hurts, offence and ideology? We can't even connect with others. Who knows who's going to be blessed on the other side of that? Who knows how we're going to be blessed? And I guess my intention here isn't to brag because I think we all have kids and we can probably all learn from our kids in different ways. We all have stories. I'm sharing this story because this is our family's story and it's what we know and I am pretty proud of my son and he's inspired me and I'm sharing it so we can glean from his heart. I think we have so much to glean from the purity of kids' hearts. They don't hold grudges, they're quick to forgive and they're resilient. Maybe they are our greatest leaders. Maybe they are our greatest example and not just a little side thing that we throw into church life just to keep them entertained so we can come and listen to the sermon. They are our trailblazers. They are our future, but not just our future. I believe they are our present and they have so much to teach us in the here and now. And that's why we can't wait to build our new, beautiful, amazing next generation facilities. I'm just putting a shameless plug in here for the vision of that. We know our kids are of utmost importance to God and we know he's doing something indescribable in the hearts of our kids and we want to give space to house, foster and give the incredible next generation in our midst room to increase and flourish. So yeah, Building Vision Fund will be starting soon for that and I am so excited. I cannot wait to see our kids and our community blessed through that. Okay, I am drawing to an end like the last page or two. Maybe I'll get Ryan up on the guitar. <laughs> I just want to add to, for those who might be searching for true community or, or have struggled to find it here or elsewhere, so often when we enter into new community, we enter in at a pseudo community level. It's keeping up appearances, everything's pretty nice, but the relationships are surface value. Inevitably, as you stay connected with a group of people long enough, you'll move out of the honeymoon or pseudo community stage and issues and tensions and conflict will arise. That's natural. It's chaos. 
In this moment, it may be tempting to point the finger at others and be like, what's wrong with them? And they've got so many issues. As um, Peck says, we begin to point the finger at others and try and blame and, and try and control the situation. And often, people make the grave mistake of thinking at this point, I feel uncomfortable. These relationships are not what they thought they were. It's too hard. This mustn't be where I'm meant to be. I need to move on to greener pastures, get back to that nice, sweet, pseudo-community, really, fake level of relationship. No! From one friend to another, hang in there. These tensions are providing you with an opportunity to actually go deeper with one another relationally, to get a bit gritty, to work things out, to come out even closer with those around you. That's married life, hey? Like, we have fights, we have arguments, we go deeper. The tension draws us closer. Sometimes I think we have higher expectations of relationships outside family, but it's just, it's just those relationships outside of family are just the same. You've got to work through stuff. You've got to work hard to, I guess, keep the relationship. Yeah, it's an opportunity to empty yourself of hurt and prejudice, preconceptions and expectations, and enter into true community. Get what I'm saying? And there is time, I guess, as an exception where it is the right time for people to move on. Maybe they've been planted somewhere for a while and they feel a sense that it's time to move on somewhere new and there definitely is a time for that. I'm not saying you always have to stay in the same place your whole life. Talking about just running from conflict and tension when you're about to enter into a deeper level of community. Another exception is abusive relationships. I'm definitely not saying if you're in an abusive relationship, you need to grit it out and endure and work it out. If you're in an abusive relationship, you get out of there as quick as you can. And if you don't know how to, please talk to myself or Leanne or Marita who was talking earlier or someone here, a friend, and I'm sure we and they would love to help you get out of whatever situation you're in, help you draw boundaries to protect yourself. I'm just talking about working through normal tensions and conflict that arise in relationship. All right, so that's a lot to digest. But may we grow in our ability to keep our hearts soft, to let down the walls of prejudice and preconceptions and expectations and hurt and barriers that might actually erect themselves in our heart and prevent us from connecting meaningfully with others. Let's get over ourselves because we're going to be so blessed if we can enter into true community and there's others who are going to be so blessed also. All right, let's stand. I just want to finish. I recognize that in everything I've just shared, I haven't really addressed the fact that some of you here, you might actually be relating more to that boy in the story who was walking around with his football alone. You might relate more to him than everything else I've just said. And I don't want to miss an opportunity to acknowledge that maybe there's people here who are surrounded by a sea of people, but your heart is aching and you're feeling lonely. And you just feel like that boy who you're just waiting for someone to reach out and recognize your pain and and invite you into family and community. belonging and I just feel that God's got your number today he sees you he wants you to know that you're not alone even when you felt just the pain and the grief and you've maybe felt like no one's even seen or understood what you're going through I know Josh and I've had times like that in our life and this true community of faith has been there every step of the way and it's carried us and I want you to know that you're not alone here this morning and that yes you're surrounded physically but we want your heart to feel at home here we want your heart to feel like you're not alone And I just want to pray for you right now. God sets the lonely in families. And I'm just going to thank God that for you, that is going to be your story, that whether it's here or maybe elsewhere, that you're going to find a family where you feel at home, where you can share your fears and your failures and defeats, where you can cry and laugh and where your heart is at home. So God, I just thank you so much that you set 
the lonely, in families. I thank you that you're closer than a brother. I thank you that you know our pain. You know the loneliness and the ache we may be facing better than any human. And so if anyone here is feeling like that, just alone in a sea of people, I thank you that right now you will minister love and comfort, peace and belonging. And maybe there's been some lies that have been spoken out. Maybe there's been some hurt in the past that have caused individuals to feel alone. And I just thank you that I guess you bring truth where there's been lies and that you bring healing where there's been hurt. And I thank you that it's a new day. I thank you for those that may have felt lonely their whole lives. I just thank you that this is a turning point. And maybe after this service, you go and you talk to someone and say, this is how I'm feeling. And, you know, we can work out how to get you more connected. I just thank you it's a turning point. It's a marker here for people that they're going to feel from this day forward that they began to connect in true community. They began to belong. They felt your heart, your love for them, God. I just thank you so much for that. You set the lonely in families. And I thank you for maybe those of us who have experienced that and we feel like we've found home and we found family. I thank you that you help us never to be complacent and content and allow prejudice and hurts to come into our heart that actually prevent us from seeing the lost and the hurt and the lonely. And I thank you for this story that I shared from my son. I pray that you stir our hearts, you break our hearts for the lost, you help us to see. I thank you, God, that you have provided the answer here in true community for a lost and a broken and a lonely society. May we ever be looking outwards. May we ever be reaching out to help the lost and lonely find home. Amen. Oh, I forgot to get the band up. Let's get the band up. Let's sing a song. And if you want to talk more about anything I spoke about, please see myself or dad or mum or any of the leaders here. We'd love to talk with you and, yeah, help you out a little bit more. Do you want to say anything, Josh? Awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. We're going to do praise. Yeah. Awesome.